Welcome to the Powerhouse Youth Podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today, and we hope that this builds you up and helps you live out your faith. Enjoy the message. And tonight, we're going to start a new Christmas series that's actually going to carry us uh, through the next few weeks. Uh, We've only got a couple more services, really, to end out the year, but it's going to be entitled The Gift Exchange. Everybody say The Gift Exchange. Okay, um, one, uh, I hope that you recognize that Christ is the greatest gift that's ever been given, right? Uh, I I hope that you recognize that, but for us to kind of truly grasp this truth, um, I need you to understand that Christ wasn't just a gift that was given. It was actually uh, a gift exchange, okay? Anybody you've ever been a part of a gift exchange before? Anybody you really, you want to be a part of a gift exchange this month? You can raise your hand and look around, find somebody. (laughs) You want to exchange gifts? Cool. Okay, no. All right. Uh, You can do that. Uh, But, uh, man, I want you to see Christ coming was not just a gift that was given, but it was a gift exchange, and it was actually an unfair gift exchange, Okay, uh, it was an unfair gift exchange because this is what God really wants. He wants us to give Christ all of our baggage, all of our sin, all of our issues, all of our problems, right? And in turn, Christ forgives us. He gives us his righteousness. He purifies us. He redeems us. It's like, y'all, that doesn't sound like a, fair, uh, a very fair exchange, right? It's like we give him our trash, but we get all the goods, Y'all, if you were a part of a Christmas exchange like that, somebody would be walking away a little bitter, right? You ever done that? You, you ever given someone a gift you're excited about? You're like, man, I can't wait to see what they got me. Man, that gift is awesome. I spent $50. Like, you get a gift that's like $3. It's like, here, here's this half-eaten candy bar. Like, oh. Raisin Cane's watch covered in barbecue sauce. That sounds like a terrible gift. Uh, man, and I want you to kind of think about this because this is the idea that I want you to, uh, to kind of hold on to the next couple of weeks. Um, Christmas is all about the gift exchange. I mean, you know, even the, the kind of subtext that I want you to think about tonight, we're going to end with really this topic. Uh, but this mindset around Christmas, I want you to see my insecurities can be exchanged for God's purpose. Okay, uh, my doubt can be exchanged for God's plan. Okay, and so I want you to see, man, a lot of times we give God our baggage. We give God our, man, the worst of the worst. And then in return, man, he blesses us. In return, uh, man, he comes through and changes our life. And so uh, before we kind of jump into the main message, I want you to think about this for a second. What does secular culture try to make Christmas about? Y'all, who's, okay, let's be real. Who's excited about presents? Okay. Y'all, if you did not raise your hand, you're lying in church, okay? Some of y'all are probably already thinking about what your parents have gotten you. Uh, man, I'm excited about presents. What are some other things that they make Christmas about? Okay, a fat man in a red suit. What else? Anybody put up a Christmas tree yet? Christmas cookies. What's up? Hey, and so... 
this is what I want you to see, man. Secular culture will try to make Christmas all about what Santa Claus, a Christmas tree, cookies. Try to make it all about uh, presents. Uh, but we know the true reason for the season, and that's Jesus Christ, the greatest gift uh, that's ever been given, okay? And so think about this. Jesus wasn't just a baby in a manger, but Jesus came to save the lost, heal the brokenhearted, and set the captives free, okay? And so think about uh, this, this Christmas. Jesus is the only person to split history in two. You ever thought about that? Jesus' birth literally splits history in two, it's like you want to start arguing people's gods and people's religions and beliefs. It's like, hey, my God splits history in two. What about yours? It's like, yeah. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty lit, right? That's awesome. Man, Jesus is the name above every other name. He's our healer. He's our redeemer. He's our refuge and strength. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Man, Jesus is the gift. He's the reason for the season. Amen. And so as we uh, kind of jump into our text and all that tonight, I just want to stop and say a prayer and just invite God to come and speak to us. So if you just bow your heads with me. Man, I know the, uh, the last week, it was nice to have a week off. Actually, look at me for just a second before we pray. I'm like tricking y'all. I'm just making sure you're awake. The last week, it was nice to have off, right? How many have ever been guilty when you have a week off, you have some time off, man, it's really easy to kind of take off spiritually as well. You check out, you play video games, you eat nothing but Christmas tree cakes, and it's like all of a sudden you're back at school and you're like, what happened? Anybody? And so for just a second, I, I want to pause and um, I, I just want us to talk to God just individually and just kind of refocus on him because he's most important, amen? And so if you just bow your heads for just a second, I just want you to talk to God. Just say, Lord, I, I just give you my heart any distractions, anything that I've been worried about, God, would you help each one of us grow closer to you tonight? Would you ask God, Lord, help me grow closer to you tonight? Or would you speak to me tonight? God, we give you this moment where we're here because we love you. God, come and, and have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen, amen. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you don't, it will be on the Sky Bible. The Skittles, Skibbles, Skybobble, we've come up with about 14 names now. But, man, over the next couple of weeks, we're really going to look at the Christmas story. Tonight, we're going to look at kind of the precursor to the Christmas story. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 1. If you know anything about this, really, uh, the main meat of the Christmas story is actually told in Luke chapter 2. Okay, the traditional story that you're more used to, that uh, maybe you've heard read in services or something like that, um, and it's in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to kind of look at what happens, what's leading up uh, to the Christmas story tonight, and we're going to continue in Luke chapter 2 uh, next week. Okay, and so uh, Luke chapter 1 is actually a contrast of two very similar encounters. Okay, we're going to run through these quick because I, I really want to hang on uh, my last point tonight. I think, uh, man, it'll really challenge you. But look at uh, Luke 1, verses 5 through 7. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of uh, Abijah, whatever, we're going to pretend that's how you say it. And, uh, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. 
but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Everybody say, they were old. Okay, who's they? Who did we just get introduced to? (laughs) Well, it doesn't say that they're unhappy, but it does say that they're old. It says that their names are what? Zachariah and Elizabeth. Some of y'all just made up some names that I've never heard before. Um, Okay, and then we find out another fact. Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, is barren. Okay, she's unable to have kids. We actually see this through a number of stories throughout Scripture. Uh, But I want you to look what happens in these next three verses. It says, uh, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Y'all, that's kind of an understatement. If you saw an angel just like appear to you out of nothing, I would probably be just a little bit scared, right? It says this, verse 13, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay, y'all, this is, uh, man, this is pretty interesting here, okay, because Zechariah in this moment, he's actually gone to the temple. He works in the temple. He's gone to burn incense. He's worshiping the Lord, and most scholars believe that in this moment, Zechariah is in prayer. Okay, Zechariah is in prayer. What do you think he's praying for? Okay, you're spot on. Zechariah, they believe, obviously, man, he's here, he's praying uh, for a son, right? Okay, and so I want you to think about this. They're old. They're old. Zechariah has probably been praying prayers similar to this for years. Stop. All right? All right. Okay. Zechariah has been praying prayers like this probably for years, okay? And so he has literally every excuse to quit. Have you ever had an excuse to stop praying? Have you? I mean, think about this, though. Zechariah's probably been praying this prayer for years. All of a sudden, in this moment, God shows up and he answers his prayer. An angel shows up in the middle of him praying. Y'all, think about this in your own prayer life. You're just laying there with your little sleepy head on your pillow, (laughs) talking to God, and then all of a sudden, poof, like an angel shows up in your room. Y'all, I would be squealing like a girl, okay? I'm I'm just saying. But I want you to think about how awesome this is. He's probably been praying this prayer for years, and all of a sudden, God intervenes, God answers, God responds, and the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, actually tells him, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him what? You're going to name him John. John who? That wasn't his middle name. That was just what he did, okay? (laughs) Yeah, John the Baptist. That was his last name, John the Baptist, okay? But our first point tonight that I want you to hold on to, man, I think this is kind of obvious, but I want to challenge you with this. Man, be faithful and consistent in the place of prayer. Hey, listen, there are a lot of people who are very quick to throw in the towel and to give up in moments when God doesn't answer, right? Have there, has, has there ever been something in your life that you've been praying for, you've been believing for? Maybe you've been asking God, maybe something you've been praying for for years, and maybe it hasn't been answered. Maybe there, there hasn't been, like, God's intervention. In those moments, do you think it's really easy just to quit? 
It's really easy. Man, have you ever gotten discouraged about something like that? I mean, there are a lot of a lot of people that they pray, they ask God, and when something doesn't happen immediately, especially when it doesn't happen how we want it to happen or the time frame we want it to happen, we can get bitter, we can get aggravated, we can get upset, right? And it's really easy to stop praying. It's really easy to uh, stop believing. Hey, some of us in this room, man, we've been praying for God to move in certain situations. You've been praying for God to move in uh, your family members and in, in, in your friends' lives and in a struggle. You've been asking God for breakthrough over sin or problems or, or whatever your issue is. And, and maybe up to this point, you haven't really seen God answer that prayer. Man, some of us in this room, we've used that as an excuse to stop praying. I want you to think about this for a second. Zachariah man, and his wife Elizabeth, they were faithful. They were consistent in the place of prayer. Because of their consistency, because of them constantly going before the Lord, because of their faithfulness, God intervenes in this moment and answers their prayer. What if they would have stopped before? Have you ever thought about that? What if, what if God wants to intervene in your situation, but he wants you to seek him a little bit more? Maybe he's wanting to teach you something in the process. Because let me tell you this, man, a lot of time our relationship with God isn't like a microwave. Dude, we grow, we've grown up in a microwave culture. Dude, we can go by, we can get anything and everything at almost the exact instant we want it. You want information, you pull out your phone, you Google, you search, you, you take a picture, you look it up. Man, you want food, you drive by, you pick Chick-fil-A because it's so delicious and the fried chicken sandwich and number one with no pickles, add American cheese, large fry, and a sweet tea is so good. I get it every time. You can go by. When you want something at home, what do you do? You've got food in the fridge. You go, you pop it in the microwave. You're like one minute, 60 seconds, whatever, the add one minute button. If you've got that on your microwave, it comes in handy. You heat it up real quick and you pull it out. Think about this. We've grown up in a culture where a lot of things are instantaneous, right? And so when things with our relationship with God don't work that way, we're quick to give up. We're quick to, to move on to something else. And I want to challenge you. Be someone who's faithful, who is consistent in the place of prayer. Because if Zachariah and Elizabeth would have given up years before, I wonder if they would have ever received this child. I wonder if they would have ever received this promise, this thing that God was trying to bring in their life. Hey, what if God will bring that thing in your life? What if God is going to intervene in that situation? What if God is going to change your family member's heart? If you'll just be faithful to keep praying, would you do it? If you knew that for a fact, would you do it? Hey, growing up in an instantaneous culture has taught many of us to throw in the towel when things don't happen exactly the way we want, when we want. And I'm telling you today, man, our relationship with God, man, one of the best things that we can do is be disciplined enough to be faithful and consistent. I mean, seek God. Hey, some of us, we've forsaken the place of prayer, and I know we've talked about this in the past few weeks, but I'm telling you, this is so important. If you don't have a prayer life, start one, okay? That is so, so crucial for every Christian. I mean, stop forsaking the call to pray. Go before God and spend time with him every day. Y'all, that rhymed so you know it was the Lord, okay? Okay, and so I want you to, to think about this. Zachariah, man, they're consistent. They're faithful. God answers his prayer. 
and I want you to choose to be that consistent person, okay? And, and man, I want you to look back at verse six because this is something significant and that we're gonna look at for point two. But in verse six, it mentions this on purpose. It says that Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God. They're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Man, I don't think this detail was just thrown in here by accident, but I want you to get this point too. God blesses and answers the prayers of the righteous. One, that statement can almost be a little condemning or <laughs> convicting because some of us in here, we, we probably humbly accept that we're not righteous, right? And I know I make mistakes, I've got issues, I've got problems, I have things that I deal with, I know that we all do, and oftentimes we can mistake those things and, and look down upon ourselves as a sinner, which we are. But the beautiful thing of the gospel is that when we accept Christ, it's an exchange, right? You remember the exchange, the, the gift exchange? We give him our sin, he gives us his righteousness, and so when God looks upon you, you are the righteous, or as righteous as Christ. Is that not awesome? But I want you to look a little deeper here because we see this same truth in the story of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. You, you're gonna see it here in a second as we move on uh, to the bottom of Luke chapter one with Mary and Joseph. They are blessed because they choose to live righteously. They choose to obey God's commandments. Okay, and so this is what I want you to, to, to kind of think about. A lot of us, we have a little misconception, okay? Especially a lot of young people, we, we kind of tend to have this mindset that we believe God wants to suck the fun out of everything. Have you ever been guilty of this? You think God's a fun sucker? Yeah, okay, a couple of y'all want to be real. This, this is exactly how I thought when I, was, when I was young. I thought God was a fun sucker, and I thought he wanted me to miss out on all the fun stuff that I could do while I was here on earth. You ever kind of thought about that? Because a lot of us, when we look at religion, when we look at Christianity, man, we always see are the rules, the regulations, the things that we can't do. And I, I kind of want to challenge you to kind of flip the script for just a second, because when I, when now, when I look at, uh, religion, when I look at Christianity, when I look at my relationship with God, I recognize that God says if I'll do those things, if I'll obey him, if I'll love him, if I'll seek him, if I'll be righteous and pursue him, then he'll bless me. Then he'll give me favor. Then, man, he'll pour out his blessings in my life. And all of a sudden, it's not about, oh, I can't do these things anymore. It's about I don't want to miss out on the things that God is trying to pour into my life because of my sin, because of my disobedience. And so some of us men in this room, I think we kind of have that misconception where we uh, think that God's a, a fun sucker. And listen, God says, if you'll just simply do these things, one, it'll be better for you. And two, I will bless your life. You'll receive my favor. You'll receive my love, my mercy. You'll get to stay away from all the chaos that sin will bring in your life if you'll just do it. Just just because you love me, because you want to be close to me. And I want you to look at this in John 9, 31. It says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 1 Peter 3, 12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God listens to the prayers of the righteous. 
I don't know about you, but I think that is a huge deal. I want God to hear me when I talk to him. I want God to hear me. I want God to answer. I want God to respond. I want God to, to change things when I cry out to him in this moment. Man, he answers Zachariah and Elizabeth's prayers because they're righteous, because they seek him, because they try to do their best to abstain from sin. This in no way means that they were perfect. Y'all, none of us in here will ever live a perfect life. Y'all, we're all kind of goofed up. Like Goofy, the movie on Disney Plus. Check it out. <laughs> but listen, I want you to kind of get this tonight before we move on. Don't have this misconception that God is trying to give you all these rules and things that you're not supposed to do. God says, if you'll just obey me, I'll give you so much more. Man, I've tried a lot of the, the issues, the problems, the, the sin and things that a lot of times we forsake God to pursue. Man, I'll tell you, every time I've pursued those things, every time I've chased after those things, man, they've left me empty. They left me broken. Man, I'm telling you, God just wants you to be obedient to him and pursue righteousness so he can bless you, so he can prosper you, so he can be in your life. Man, change your mindset that God wants to pour out his blessing. Man, God blesses and answers the prayers of the righteous. And so decide today, man, to live a life that honors God. And I want you to uh, move on. We're going to look at uh, verses 18 through 20. Man, this is Zechariah's response. The angel Gabriel shows up. He tells them that they're going to have a baby. Uh, and then this is how Zechariah responds here. It says, uh, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Okay, when you go through this story and you look in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah from this moment until uh, their son John is born is mute. He can't speak, okay? So at least for nine months, he can't talk. Y'all, that would be a rough life, okay? Some of y'all, you can't be quiet for like 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. Man, this is, this is a pretty big deal. But what I want you to kind of see here is uh, Zechariah, although he's been praying for this moment, although he's been praying for God to intervene, although he's been praying for his son, man, Zechariah was kind of harboring a little bit of doubt, right? And honestly, he, he kind of had a few excuses to doubt. He says, I'm old. Are you sure this is going to happen? My wife's old. We've been praying for this for years. You're like, sure. Like, I want to double check. And then all of a sudden, the angel's like, no, nah, we don't play that. Um, you're going to be mute for at least nine months. It's like, oh, that would be the worst. And so what's even funny, I guess more funny to think about, he has to go home and try to communicate this message to his wife. He can't talk. So I don't know if they start playing like Pictionary. Uh, he gets a tablet and starts chiseling stuff. Uh, they're not that old. They probably have parchment. But I'm just saying, he's writing this stuff down so his wife can, can figure out what in the world is going on, okay? Her husband comes home. He can't talk. She's a little confused. 
And so here in this moment, man, Zechariah has doubt. Okay, I want you to hold on to this idea of doubt there. We're going to jump uh, for just a second, and we're going to tie that back in at the end. But jump down in Luke chapter 1 to verse 34, if you've got your Bibles open. Man, we're about to look at kind of the similar encounter here between uh, Mary and Joseph. If you don't know, Mary and Joseph are the parents of who? They're kind of, kind of important, okay? And, um, okay, Scripture tells us that Mary is a virgin. I mean, she's betrothed to marry uh, Joseph. Joseph is her fiancé. Everybody say fiancé like you're French. <laughs> that was a bad French accent, okay. Mary has won favor with God because of her righteousness, okay? And so in this passage, we're about to kind of look the angel Gabriel actually visits Mary as well. He tells her that she's going to have a baby, Jesus, and this is Mary's response to this message. Look at these uh, four or five verses. It says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the an I mean, pretty viable question there, okay? Uh, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, y'all, this is some crazy news. How would you be feeling if you were Mary right now? Y'all, you would be freaking out just a little bit, right? Okay, an angel shows up. It's like, I'm not even married. The angel just shows up, says, I'm about to have a baby. It's like, what? Like, I'm, I'm, what is Joseph going to think? What's everybody around me going to think? Like, this is going to goof up my, my TikTok following. Like, am I going to have to take a break from all my videos? Yeah, get Get real practical here. It's like, oh, yeah, now I'm feeling it for Mary. TikTok, gosh. <laughs> Cracks me up. Okay. But think about it. Put yourself in Mary's shoes for a second. Would you be freaking out a little bit? How do you, how do you break the news to your parents? How do you break that news to Joseph? How do you have that conversation? Oh, uh, Joseph? Um, it's like, he's not going to believe you. It's like, this is crazy. And then I want you to kind of think a step further. Think about this. She's about to have a baby. Not even crazy enough that she's going to have a baby. She's about to get pregnant and she's a virgin. She's about to have the son of God. She's about to raise Jesus. How do you get qualified for that job? Like, seriously, like, Jesus is probably a baby, like, teaching his parents things. Like, that's not the way you're supposed to do that. Like, correcting them, all this stuff. Can you think about the pressure? It's like God is watching you raise his son constantly. It's like, man, I would feel like I'm about to mess up. I'm about to make a mistake. Feeling a little insignificant, feeling unqualified. And, you know, I started thinking about this. I was thinking about that point. I was thinking about this, uh, this moment with Zachariah. Zachariah immediately had doubt. In this moment, if I was Mary, I would immediately 
doubt as well. I would have a little bit of insecurity. And what would I do? I would probably start making excuses. Anybody. Reasons why you can't do this. Y'all, some of you are the kings and queens of making excuses. Right? Man, I'm telling you, a lot of us, we would begin to, man, bring up our, um, man, our insecurities. We would respond in doubt. We wouldn't have enough faith to really believe that God would see this thing through. And, uh, man, I think it's, it's significant because a lot of us, our first response, when God begins to kind of speak to you, when God tugs on your heart, man, a lot of our first response is to feel unqualified. Man, have you ever been there? You feel like God is kind of speaking to you. He's tugging on your heart. He's asking you to do something. Maybe he's asking you to step out in faith. Maybe he's asking you to begin to live in a little greater way. And then your first response is feeling like you're not good enough to do that. You're, I don't know, you fill in the blank. You, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to talk to people. You're awkward. You're goofy. We are smirking at me. Man, I'm telling you, a lot of times I feel like, especially with young people, when God begins to tug on our heart, one of the first responses is kind of a feeling of, uh, of being unworthy. Man, this feeling of being unworthy, unqualified, not good enough, not talented enough, man, a lot of times it, it keeps us from really walking in the full call of God. Man, I've been here a, a number of times in my life where I really felt God calling me to something uh, greater, calling me to something beyond where I am or, or how I'm living. And then all these thoughts, all these excuses, all these times that I've messed up or I've fallen short or, or these thoughts about me not being good enough, right? They all kind of start piling in. Come on, is it just me? Because I feel like this is, this is a really common response Man, we often feel too insignificant for God to really use us. I mean, I think a lot of us have been there. And, and I, want, I want to address this specifically in, in a couple more verses. I want you to look at I mean, This has uh, really kind of been on my heart the last couple of days. But if you're, if you're taking notes, if you've got a Bible, flip to the Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, Look at this, and this is going to tie in, and I, I think will help encourage you tonight. It says this, now the word of the Lord came to me, talking about Jeremiah, and it says this. This is significant. We're going to come back to verse 5 a lot. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all, uh, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Okay, I know that was a chunk of scripture. But listen, God himself begins to speak to Jeremiah. He's calling Jeremiah to be a prophet over nations. Man, 
it's a powerful thing. You can go through and read through this book and see uh, the ways that God speaks through and uses Jeremiah. But what is Jeremiah's first response to this message? Yeah, what, what does he do? What's he say? Yeah, I was, I was trying to get some other people catching on, Jeremiah. I appreciate your persistence. Yes, he is. Uh, but I want you to see this. God speaks to him. His first response is to begin to make excuses. His first response really begins to reveal Jeremiah's insecurity. He says, I'm too young. I'm unqualified. Nobody's going to listen to me. I don't, I don't have the words to say. Man, I'm unworthy to really do this. And what is really cool, God goes through right after this response, and he begins to affirm Jeremiah. He begins to address his doubts. He begins to, to kind of encourage him to fulfill this call. But I actually want to, uh, I mean, I want you to look at this specific word and found in verse five. It says, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We're gonna look at this word form. Before I formed you. Man, there's a little bit of depth here that you don't get unless you return to uh, the original language. When you go to uh, the Hebrew, and it's actually a word pronounced yatser. I'm gonna pretend like that's how you say that as well, my best guess. But this is what's significant. It means to form, to fashion, but then it starts getting a little more depth here. It means to plan, to predetermine, to preordain. And this word is often used in the process of potters making clay vessels. Okay, and so when um, God begins to speak to Jeremiah, before Jeremiah even starts making his excuses, God is kind of bringing affirmation here. Okay, Jeremiah would have understood the depth of, of uh, this word because he received this in the original language. He received this in, in Hebrew. But I want you to stop and think about this for a second. Before Jeremiah made excuses, before he started talking about how unworthy, how unqualified uh, he was, man, God started speaking to Jeremiah and telling him that before he was even born, he had planned him, he had predetermined him, for this specific purpose. Man, this word gave Jeremiah the picture of God as the potter, shaping and forming him as a vessel, perfectly formed to fulfill what God was calling him to do. He was created for a specific purpose. And so all along here, Jeremiah is trying to make excuses. He's trying to act like he's unworthy, like he's not good enough, like he can't do it. And God is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is what I made you to do. Why are you acting like you can't do it? You think about that for just a second? This is what I made you to do. Before you were even born, before I even put you together in your mother's womb, he said, I planned for you to be alive at this time, in this moment, in this place. For you to be this young, at this age, I was going to call you now so you can fulfill my purpose for you. He said, I've, I've planned all these things beforehand. And he said, everything that you are, your personality, your gifting, all of these things, he says, I've shaped you, I've formed you. You are, are perfect for what I need you to do. You are the perfect tool for what I'm calling you to do. Think about the magnitude of that statement. It's a little deeper than God just trying to encourage Jeremiah, right? And so I want you to go back for a second 
men to Zechariah, to Elizabeth, to Mary, to Joseph, and even think about yourself. Man, a lot of us, our first response is feeling unworthy, and our first response is feeling unqualified. You feel like you're not good enough, like God couldn't use you. And I, I really believe that tonight, the, the main heart of my message, the thing that was just, I feel like God kept reminding me is that he formed you to do exactly what he's called you to do. Some of you in this room, you felt unworthy. You felt like something's been holding you back from really stepping into the call and purpose of God because you're not good enough or you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You're not talented enough. And God is simply saying, I formed you exactly how I needed you. You have everything that I need you to have. You're shaped exactly like I need you to be shaped. You have every issue, everything. You're beautifully crafted. You're beautifully made. God's saying you are, are perfect to fulfill my plan for you. He thought about it before he even made you. Does that not give you a little more encouragement? Does that not kind of put a little pep in your step? All of a sudden, these feelings of being unqualified, being unworthy, like God can't use you, like you're unequipped, you begin to realize that that's a lie from the enemy. I mean, God forms you for that purpose. He created you to fulfill that call, to fulfill his will. And so these excuses that you hold on to, I mean, these feelings that kind of hold you back, I mean, they're null and void because God has fully equipped you. I mean, Zachariah, I mean, he started to doubt a little bit. I mean, if I was Mary, I would be in that moment. <laughs> Lord, I am unqualified to raise Jesus. You picked the wrong person. But I'm telling you, it's awesome because you realize that God had shaped them, planned them, and formed them beforehand to fulfill this, to fulfill this will, this call, this specific plan. Man, and so tonight, as I ask the band and the worship team to come up, man, I, I want you to think about this Christmas season. I know this isn't even a, a traditional Christmas message. This is kind of before we get into the heart of the Christmas message next week. But this Christmas season, man, I really hope that you'll recognize that Jesus is the greatest gift ever given. That tonight, I, I want you to get that Jesus isn't just a gift, but he was a part of an exchange. That he wants you to give your insecurity, your, your feeling like you're unworthy or you're unqualified or you're not good enough. He wants you to give him those things so he can use you. And I don't know about you, but that stirs something inside of me. I mean, Jesus wants to take all your excuses and all your doubt, all of your insecurity. And every reason that you have in your heart, every excuse that you make, of why you can't really live for him, why you can't really step out in faith, why you can't really talk to people about your faith or make disciples or, or share or, or abstain from that sin that you keep struggling with. Man, tonight, Jesus wants you to give him all those things. Man, he wants to exchange your insecurities for his purpose. Man, tonight, I, I want you to remember this Christmas season, the greatest gift exchange that ever happened that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came to earth to take all of our problems, all of our baggage, all of our issues, 
and to give us new life, to give us hope, to give us value, to give us purpose. And tonight, there's some young people here that, and there have been some things that have held you back, feelings of, uh, feelings of unworthiness, feeling that you're unqualified, all these things, insecurities. Tonight, Jesus wants to take all that stuff. Jesus wants to take all of it, if you'll give it to him. 